I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, for a brief moment, I was kind of hopeful that when President Biden announced sanctions on Russia. We've now sanctioned Russian banks that together hold around $1 trillion in assets. We've cut off Russia's largest bank, a bank that holds more than one-third of Russia's banking assets. Somehow it would make a difference. But then you just wrapped up a conversation, Dave, uh, that proves me wrong. Sanctions might not work and Russia might be sanction-proof. That is the key right there, that Russia is sanction-proof. Maybe sanctions never work, but... In particular, this specific instance, Vladimir Putin has basically sanction-proofed Russia. And the conversation I had with Desmond Lockman, who's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, he said, really, there's three things how Putin has made his country sanction-proof. Number one, he just saved up a bunch of money. He did. Reserves of almost $650 billion. Billion dollars. Yes. we, We were just in the dark on this? Uh, <laughs> uh, apparently, okay. the, this is what has me scratching my head is that we were kind of still unprepared for this, but okay. he saved up basically $650 billion. So he knew that when sanctions ca- came that he would be able to basically subsidize Tap into the those that are being sanctioned. Wow. Okay? okay. Um, and he learned these lessons because in, in 2014, when we dropped heavy sanctions, when he invaded cr- uh, Crimea, he realized, I've got to do something different. So big reserves. Number two, a very disciplined budget policy, something that we do not understand in this country. But something like 20% uh, of GDP, that's what his spending was. You know, we're over 110, 120% in the United States. He's spending a fraction of what they're bringing in. Those two points alone tell me, this is very methodical and well-planned. Years in the making. Okay. The final thing, and you'll hear this in the interview. I just want to give you a little uh, preview here. But he said, uh, essentially, everyone is dependent on Russian energy, Russian oil, Russian natural gas. They will never sanction us because it would hurt themselves too much. It would hurt hmm. Europe if they tried to cut off our natural gas. So I don't think you're going to do it. And guess what? We didn't. Uh, Before we dive into your interview, uh, remind us who you talked to. 
Desmond Walkman. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. There's no question if you shut down some of the banks, you don't let some of the oligarchs come to your country or you freeze their assets. That's going to have some kind of impact, but it's very uncertain that that's going to deter Putin. You know, I'd start from the idea that he's an autocratic ruler. He doesn't have to account to an electorate. So he can take pain that one wouldn't be able to take in a democratic society. You know, so, but I'd emphasize that what he's done is he's learned from the experience he had in 2014 when he invaded Crimea that Russia wasn't in a very strong economic position to withstand sanctions. So one could exert pressure on Russia at that stage. Having learned from that experience, what he's done is he's run the economy in a very careful way, and he's built up international reserves to a level that's now something like $630 billion. That's about a third of the size of the economy. So that gives him a whole lot of resources to cushion any blow that one gets from sanctions. So I'd say having that arsenal, not being terribly indebted, not relying on financing from abroad, he's in a very strong position to withstand sanctions for a while. That's not to say that the sanctions won't damage him and the economy, but it's not going to be able to damage them sufficiently to get him to stop his aggression. Another angle that just fascinated me, something the U.S. seems to have no understanding of whatsoever, is this disciplined budget policy. Can you dive into that and how Russia has changed the way government spends money or protected it? Russia is basically a petro-economy. So its main source of revenue comes from oil. So what they've done is they've run their budgets on the basis of an oil price of $45 a barrel, whereas in fact today, you know, what we're seeing is oil more like at $90 a barrel. So doing that over a period of time has allowed him to reduce the debt level that Russia has. The public debt in Russia is only something like 20% of its domestic product. You know, if you compare that to the United States, we're running budget deficits that are something like 15% of GDP. We've got a debt level today that is over 100% of GDP. That's higher than it was at the end of the Second World War. So he's got a debt level that is a fifth of what our debt level is. So he doesn't have to keep raising additional finance. He doesn't have to go to the international capital markets to get financing for Russia. You know, he's really not hurting in terms of his export receipts to the extent that uh, he should be. We could really put the squeeze on him if we were to stop importing Russia's oil. But that is something that Europe certainly can't do. Europe depends on Russian natural gas for 40 percent of its needs. So they're in a strong position. They know that the West really can't cut off demand for energy from Russia because they're so dependent 
on Russia for their heating needs and so on. So how much of how much of that? Excuse me. Sorry. I was just wondering how much of that was a gamble? How much of it is an educated guess that the sanctions were never going to touch the energy sector? That's a calculation that he knows that Europe is so dependent on energy. And I don't think it's an accident that he's choosing to do this campaign right in the middle of the European winter. You know, so there's no way that the Europeans can wean themselves from his gas. What the Europeans are doing now is they've cancelled this Nord Stream pipeline, which would make Europe even more dependent on Russian gas. So, but that's a long-term story, you know, that Europe, as far as we can see, the next few years, it's going to remain very dependent on Russia for its energy supplies, and Putin knows that. The way you explain it, it seems so obvious. It seems like this is something that perhaps we should have had a better understanding of. Why Why did we move forward with a, a plan that he had clearly prepared for? In hindsight, when he first took Crimea, you know, we should have known that he's got designs on Russia. He's been fighting this war for eight years now in those two regions of Ukraine, where there are a lot of Russian speakers. So it shouldn't really come as a surprise that he's really got designs. And it should have been obvious that he wasn't going to limit himself to those areas where the Russians, Russian speakers had control in Ukraine. I'm actually surprised, though, that what he's done now is it seems that he is throwing into question all of the arrangements after 1987, you know, that he's not recognizing the sovereignty of any of these republics that formerly were in the Soviet Union. They will look like they're fair game, you know, for him to take control of. So Ukraine is just the first step. If one, look, if one listens to his speeches, they're pretty scary. On the positive side is that Russia had very bad experience in Afghanistan some years ago. They overextended themselves. And what could be occurring here is that he could be overextending himself, that it's going to be really, very difficult to occupy a place like Ukraine, let alone you know move further. So their body bags will come back. There'll be a cost of this war over a long period of time. You know, he might get his comeuppance, but short term, He's in a strong position to withstand this, you know, for quite a while. I think what really stood out to me is that President Putin learned from his experience when he invaded Crimea. In 2014, he said, we've got to become financially independent in Russia, and he did it. It's a fascinating conversation. It's a hard one to hear, but it was a fascinating conversation. Uh, Straight ahead... Erica George, University of Utah law professor, went to Harvard Law School with President Biden's nominee to be the next Supreme Court Justice of the United States. She's calling the show straight ahead. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. 
find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.